lesson for this morning is the appointed second lesson for today. It's from the book of Revelation. And here in this um, reading, we begin a series of looks at portions of Revelation that will occur uh, throughout our Easter season. There's at least five of them still to come. So I plan on um, meditating and preaching on these Revelation spots every single time they come up this Easter season for us. And that starts here in chapter 1. So this will serve as the basis for the med meditation we shared together today as the risen Savior is viewed, as he rightly should be, standing in his power and glory in the midst of the church, in the midst of his people, uh, to bless them in every, every way. So we listen to these words um, from the Apostle John in the vision he was given to share with you. Revelation 1, beginning at verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. The word of the Lord. Christ is risen. We give thanks to God with you for that. And I have another picture to show all of you today. Emma, do you have the slides? Are you doing, yeah, oh, there it is. Look at that. Uh, this is a gigantic painting. I'm guessing, I haven't seen it in person, but I think top to bottom it may be as big as the cross on our wall if not a little bit bigger. It would take up this whole space. It's a, it's a masterful, um, enormous piece. You see the title there, maybe. Um, sorry to surprise you with this. I don't know if people online can get a little full screen for a second, but Christus Paradox is what it's called. The, the paradox, right? These, these two truths that seem to be in conflict with each other. Um, right down the middle is this shadow allowing the artist to portray Jesus in two different ways on both halves of his face. This is our Lord Jesus Christ in a new picture for you. And maybe you see a subtle warm on one side and a little colder on the other side of the hot red blood on that cool side with the right around his head. It changes, doesn't it? It goes from warm glowing crown of thorn, uh, a crown of gold to crown of thorns on the other side, right? The paradox. We see these things blended together in Revelation all the time. In fact, every time you're going to see and hear praise and thanks and doxologies spoken to God and to the Lamb and our Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to see this, this blend. How come all the saints in heaven, every time they open their mouth, they're singing about what Jesus did in Holy Week? Don't you have something more glorious in front of you right now? But they keep rejoicing in the fullness of their Christ, which isn't just glory. It was cross and crown. It was the hard, the suffering, the pain, and the death, and the triumph, and the victory, and the power, and the might. It's one Christ, full story. And that's exactly what Revelation unloads, just flat out unloads into your life. You can go to the next slide now. You could save that, that picture of Jesus in your mind, the, the paradox of these things, because isn't that the purpose of Scripture, is to meet us when we feel caught in between pictures of Jesus, and we can't put it all together. I think of um, a, a witness, a witness testimony that often comes with a cost. Somebody has information or true information isn't always easy to say that information. You know, depending on who you're talking to and what position you're in, somebody could get in big trouble if you're the tattletale, right? I'm telling the truth, but I'm telling the truth, but it comes with a cost to tell that truth. 
And that's, that's also there in Scripture. You already see people are animated by the truth of the resurrection, whether it's like a good thing or a bad thing. For the disciples, don't you see something wonderful working in their hearts as they see that they can match a glory gold crown Jesus to the one they saw who bled and died and was put in a tomb and their faces light up because of it. Do you remember the, in the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28, there were soldiers that were entrusted, guards who were placed around Jesus' tomb and their reaction to what really happened, their truth-telling, it came with a different kind of cost. Let me, let me read part of it to you just to remind you of what their testimony was like. So the guards, there was this violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came, went to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. He looked like lightning, his clothes white as snow, and the guards so afraid they shook and became like dead men. Well, at some point they recovered. <laughs> And later in verse 11, it says, some of the guards went into the city and they reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. They told the truth. And this is what came next. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And that story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Matthew 28. That misinformation. They paid a high price. It came with a different kind of cost. That truth-telling was like, oh boy, how are we going to keep this quiet? How are you going to push this down? Already, from the get-go, the truth of the resurrection was delighted by some and completely unwanted by others. They were going to do whatever they had to do if that story got to the governor to keep it down. Fifty years pass from when the Apostle John, well, roughly, from when the Apostle John was in that room with the opportunity, if he wanted, to see and touch the risen Lord who spoke words of peace to his disciples. And in those 50 years, don't think everything was all rosy for this new infant congregation church. Sure, the disciples spread out, sometimes more because of persecution. Christianity spread, but maybe not through the ways and the means that you would have expected it to. We're just talking 50 years. And 50 years later, what was, did you read, what, what happened? Congregations established, yay. Churches in Philadelphia, Laodicea, Sardis, yay. All these great, great, spreading throughout the Roman Empire. And where do we find him to start Revelation? Where do we find the Apostle John? Oh, congregations have established a Mecca. You know, they've built up cities and, and pillars and, and palaces. And now the Apostle John, you know, he sits like at the top. And would you like to have an appointment with the Apostle John today? No, it wasn't like that, was it? The Apostle John 
was kicked off by the Roman authorities to the island of Patmos in exile. The ultimate, we don't want you rejection. So which side of Jesus' face are you feeling right now, the Apostle John? Huh? Which side of his face are you focused on? Which picture of Jesus is held before his eyes as he goes? So this is, this is how it goes. This is how it ends. Is this how it's going to end for me? Just going to die and rot on an island because I was faithful. This is what the truth cost. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that different to realize that's how we start the book of Revelation? That's where he is. People sometimes talk about the world going from bad to worse. I don't, that might have a T at the end of worst. And the persecution that Christianity s- suffered just half a century after our Lord Jesus said, peace be with you, and said, I'm sending you. And he breathed on them and gave them the spirit. What a rush. And whoever sins you forgive, I forgive. Whoever sins you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. <gasps> wow, we have the keys. We get to open the door of eternal life in sinners' lives. They confess their sins. We fling it wide. You're forgiven, we proclaim to them. And everybody begins the party. I can't wait to leave this room. I can't wait to spread out from this city and go to all the ends of the earth and bring the Savior's name with me. Boom. Apostle John, go to that island. Rome didn't mess around with counter-narratives. And Christianity was not a story or a narrative or an identity it cared for anybody to have. And if you think that there's some sort of like narrative control that still happens today, of course it does. People after that type of thing, on any side in any story, people promoting it, right? Rome just had lots of big power plays that it would pull out of its pocket, like kicking you onto an island if they didn't like you. And that's exactly what it did. And it would even threaten the very life of Christians at that time. That's what the Apostle John, that's what Sardis and Philadelphia, if you're, if you're reading that letter, you're knowing this is exactly what we're going through in the Roman Empire right now. So, John, why don't you sit down? Says the Lord your God. And write everything you see for the churches. And in these words we have in Revelation, it's almost like you're taking a fresh book. Maybe it says Revelation on the cover. The first three verses that we didn't read, you know, you're, you're just kind of turning, you're getting these like title page information that John was on the island of Patmos and, 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 and exiled. And you dive into the verses that are in front of us. And John begins, right, he begins his letter, but we don't really start chapter one. This is the first vision, right? We're not quite there in the opening verses that you read. So what I want you to see is that our what I read before is sort of split in half. You have, you have some final introductory material, and then you get what John, okay, God's giving this to you. John, I want you then to show them me. Jesus shows himself to you in a way that is perfectly fitting, perfectly wonderful and beautiful for you and me to soak up today. So the first introductory pages, 
John, oh, it's written by John, right? And what's the next little thing you see on these intro pages? To the seven churches in the province of Asia. It's, it's, not, it's not like it's not meant for you. It's meant for all of the churches. It's going to be spread, and now it's in your hands. Today, this morning, you get to hear the word of God that he spoke to those churches in their time of trial and persecution, right? And what, is it, what does he do? Grace and peace to you. It sounds like a letter, doesn't it? It sounds like a letter already being written. To me, that's disarming. Even from the very beginning, he, he says these great, powerful words that are these blessings at work in your life, the grace and peace, and he unloads a description of Father, Son, and Spirit in those words. But it's in this way to say, I'm, write, I'm just writing a letter. It's, it's just a good letter to you. Isn't that disarming? Like if you got something from me and, and I had an envelope on it that said, warning, if you open this, there's no going back. You know, or like dangerous, this, this message will self-destruct in 10 seconds. You know, there's ways to communicate things like revelation, very alarming for people. But how does it begin? Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. The great father of all time. And from the seven spirits, if you saw it on the screen as a small s, it's possible this is a throwback. There's so much in Revelation that's just straight up Old Testament um, connections. And the sevenfold spirit of Isaiah, seven being this great number of completeness, we kind of sense every time seven is used, it's just got everybody, everything included in it the spirit that is ready and able to do everything you need the spirit to do. Grace and peace to you from the God who owns all time and the spirit who is armed and dangerous with everything the spirit is armed and dangerous to be for the church and from Jesus Christ who loves us. Present tense. He loves you. What a letter. And set us free from our sins by his blood. What a reminder. You could sit on that little beach, stare at those waves, and just write it all over again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for every syllable God has given. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Everything Jesus gave you as he relayed a testimony of truth at great cost, revealing God to the world, though they rejected him and hung him on a cross. Jesus is the first faithful witness almost like that capital W witness. We talk about witnessing. If John says, I was one who was also a witness, a martyr, martyr and witness, uh, by the way, are the same, same Greek word. So after witnesses get killed enough, then they start, we, Greek is, the Greek word is martyr in the sounds that you make. Martus, martus, martyr for witness. Jesus is the faithful martyr. He's the faithful witness. Isn't it funny that witnessing the truth comes with such a cost? And here he is. 
He's the faithful one, but he's not just that. If you want to get the facts straight, John, if you want to tell the churches what position they're in right now, if you want to be faithful testimony to people and congregations everywhere that may be struggling or going through hardship or feeling alone or persecuted in this world, isolated and alienated by people that don't really want to hear what you have to say anymore, if you want to talk to them, please share with them the big picture. And everything comes out so that you'd have all the facts. Don't you want all the facts, witnesses? Don't you want all the facts? You're not just on an island, John. You're not just cities in a Roman Empire, people. You're not just congregations of people living as exiles and strangers in this world. Grace and peace to you. From this God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's a way that you put all the details together. That's the way you and I are first reminded in this first half that our hearts will ever limp, our hands will ever hang, and our shoulders sag if we don't put all the facts, all sides of Jesus, all truths of our wonderful God on the table. Christ is risen. Our living God is on that is all on that table. There is not one part of God that is dead. There's not one thing God has revealed to you that limps or sags or is weak or falls short. That's exactly what is being fleshed out before you today, is the full being of God and his blessing to you in your life. So then he says, to him who loves us, has freed us from our sins, and has made us to be a kingdom. That always has a verb to it, kingdom, to be a kingdom. It's like you are kings. You are those who rule, ruling activity. He's made us to be rulers in activity. You are people who rule. You rule over Satan. You rule over false doctrine by standing up con confessing your faith. Think of the rule being expressed. You are being made, you have been made to be a kingdom. And priests that serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And then in Greek, it's yes, indeed. So if I say Christ is risen and you say he is risen indeed, you have that little expression. Somebody who soaks up this Jesus who loves me and has freed me from my sins by his blood and has made me to be a kingdom and priest. And you say you're indeed at the end. And then... So you don't fail to see. The Father says, look. Look. He's coming with the clouds and all the angels with him. Look. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Indeed. He does it again. Christ is risen. He is risen and look, what does Easter mean? Easter means this pile of other things that God is doing and will do. Easter is the guarantee of a link past, present, and future that all live in the living God. So Jesus, who died and rose and lives again, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and look, 
He's coming with the clouds, right? We're going all the way to judgment day. Look, the father says, do you see him? Even those who pierced him will see him. And all people of all nations will mourn because of him. This is going to happen. So you're, you're invited to see the spread of Easter's good news go completely horizontal on a timeline and with arrows in both directions to say it's all happening. It's all going to happen. It all is happening that our God ever wanted to do, is doing, and will do. Isn't that beautiful? That's how you begin these title pages, these opening pages of the book of Revelation. And at the very end, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, right? The book-ended letters of the Greek alphabet. Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And now it's time for you, in your testimony of this God in this world, to have your Thomas moment and to shed every last doubt and fear that clings and hangs in your heart. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance, how about that for a web of words woven together? These are the things that are ours in Christ, to suffer for his namesake, to be a kingdom in him because of him, and to learn patient endurance, patient endurance, to stay what we are no matter what, to stay his, to speak for him no matter what, patient endurance, this is ours. That's, what, that's our stuff in this world. That's our stuff together in Jesus. I saw him. He stepped into the room, so to speak, saying his, don't be afraid to John. I said, look, I was dead, but I'm the living one. Do you hear it? To begin the vision, you start on Easter night in the room with those disciples with the door locked for fear of the Jews and a Jesus who would stand before you with a different picture and say, don't you forget who I am and will be, it's all blended in one, one beautiful face, one living one for you. I was dead, but I'm alive. Eyewitnesses sometimes don't know. Sometimes they say, I, I was there, but I didn't get what? I didn't get a good look. I couldn't see it clearly, and I'm not really sure. Is that kind of a witness, somebody who gets on the witness stand and says, here's my testimony? Is that the kind of witness that moves forward courageously and, and, and boldly to say, I saw what I saw and I'm going to say what I saw? It's not, is it? And Jesus doesn't know that kind of Christianity and he doesn't want Christians to know it either. You and I have clouded hearts and minds 
by all the stories being told of what life's about, where life is headed, what the power at play are doing, and what's coming in the next chapter of this world. And we keep listening, and everybody's jumping on that page with their words and their announcement and their story. And Jesus Jesus had to interrupt the disciples in that upper room because they were living a saturated story of fear of the Jews. Did you hear it? What narrative were they living in? Jesus knocks down that wall in a hurry and he holds out his hands and he opens up the cloak for his side, right? And says, go ahead, put it right here. I'm alive again. Come on, Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. So the translation here in Revelation is the same thing in Jesus' words. It's not just don't be afraid. It's stop being afraid and don't fear again. Stop being afraid and get rid of any reason to fear that you'd have left. My dear Christian friends, stand upright in Jesus' name. This is your Easter moment to see Jesus in his fullness. John is presenting him to the churches. Be faithful. Write this down, God says. Be a faithful testimony. They depend on knowing the facts. They rely on seeing it straight. Make sure you show them Jesus the real Jesus, the living one. Listen to his voice. Write down what he says. So he turns, he looks, and he sees the one who stands among the lampstands. I'm pointing there because he's, he's on the floor in your midst, blessing our congregation each and every day of its existence. He's holding the stars of those churches in his hands. He's preaching to you what he is right now. He's showing you the kind of living Savior he will always be. So you get the facts and you live with them. In these words of the vision that John gives, there's comfort in every phrase and every figure and we probably don't have time to unpack them all. But at the very end of it, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. In that human existence of ours, we can't see what God sees and we don't know what God knows, so we fear things that God would not have us fear. We doubt things that God would not have us doubt. You think about it, man's solutions to the relationship with God have always been flawed and faulty. We make up our own our own stories, our own solutions, and they never work. We're still at it. You're not supposed to fall at your feet as though dead. When God walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, did they fall at his feet as though dead? Even though he, he was God, perfect in holiness and righteousness? No. But sinners, sinners struggle. We struggle to be sure of his love. We struggle to know his kind presence in our lives. And here's the great apostle on an island falling as though dead, and Jesus says, nope. That's not. That's not it. That's not us. That's not us. He put his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. John, you an awesome picture of God. You don't be afraid. 
You're mine. You're with me. Look, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we're in for a pile of weeks here that are really going to be a blessing to you as we meditate on the revelation visions we get to see. Walk home today remembering the mighty links of our Lord who lives not just then and there in an upper room showing himself to those disciples but who lives ascended, who lives exalted, who lives to come again, who holds these keys so that you would know and you give your last breath that he lives to take you past the grave. He owns that territory. He will be there, your living one, forever and ever to give you the life he's promised to you, welcome you to his eternal mansions, and someday there'll be a resurrection of all the dead and a judgment of all life and we will enjoy the bliss of eternity with him. It's, that's the story, dear church. That's the light that turns that lamp on and, and makes those stars shine in his hand. And that is what Easter means for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.